Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm here with Elliot. Hey, everybody. And Marilyn. Hey, what's up? And today we are going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about swimming. We're going, to, <laughs> we're going to focus on two types of swimmers, swimmers that are kind of extreme beginners. We're going to talk about how you can kind of get from beginner to feeling comfortable in the water. And we're also going to talk about people that are pretty proficient and want to work on getting faster, get some, get some greasy speed going on there. Before we do that, we are just going to, I have a few rapid fire questions for my co-hosts to ask them to get the ball rolling, get everybody thinking about water and yeah, just to help think about swimming. Question number one, do you have a near drowning experience you want to share? Also remember this is rapid fire, no 20 minute stories, Elliot. Oh my goodness. Yes. Almost lost my best friend in middle school when he tried to drown me. He tried to drown you on yeah. purpose? Yeah, he was almost oh. successful. I wasn't the best swimmer. But anyways, so the rapid fire, yes. <laughs> uh, Marilyn. Yes, when I was a kid, we grew up with a pool in our backyard. I had no idea how to swim. And one day I just jumped off the diving board and I sank right to the bottom. And fortunately, <laughs> my sister saw it and came in and rescued me. Wow. Hey, how okay. old were you? Oh, little, very little. Oh, okay. Yeah. <sighs> Those are both way more intense than my stories. So I feel almost bad, but yeah, I, uh, I was swimming in the ocean once and, you know, thought I was like pretty good at swimming and turns out riptide grabbed me and a lifeguard had to come in and, and, and swim me back in. Cause I couldn't, I was just kind of stuck, stuck out there. Oh shit. Um, I didn't know that. I mean, it wasn't as traumatic for me as it probably should have been mm -hmm. because I was like, I didn't realize that I was getting sucked out so far. It's like, oh, I can't really get back. I'm just kind of hanging out in the ocean. And all of a sudden, uh, a lifeguard grabbed me. And he was like, yeah, you were going fast the wrong way. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hightail you in. Wow. Um, that sounds way more scary than ours, actually. <laughs> You're getting yeah. sucked out into the ocean <laughs> without even knowing it. That's terrifying. Um, all right. Question number two. Coolest place, like, and I'm thinking freshwater continental United States or freshwater somewhere else, if you have it, but coolest place you've ever swam. I'm, I'm taking the ocean out of it. Cause I feel like the ocean's always cool. So that was kind of my thought process there, man, like uh, a work, a swim workout or race, right? No, just any place you touched water. Oh, but like not hot springs, like swim, swim. Um, I mean, you, you can throw hot springs in the mix there. There's a, Okay, well then, um, 2006, Hoffman and I, when we were living out of the back of a car, we went on a hike in Olympic National Park, and we had like there was like 12 hot springs in a row, and we just walked from hot springs to hot springs with a couple beers. That was pretty fun, and then we got nice. super dehydrated, ran out of water. Not the best recovery. Worst <laughs> race of my life the following weekend. There you go. Excellent. Nice. Mine's not as exciting, but definitely the nicest freshwater swim that I've ever done is Wanaka. Challenge Wanaka. That was beautiful there. So I would say that's the nicest. That's, a, that's, a, that's the that's prettiest a place I've run next to, I would say. Yeah, it's very beautiful there. Although the lake just over, the one that starts with an H, I would say maybe that one's ever so slightly prettier, but it's the same town. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Blue Hole in New Mexico. No. Uh, it's... It's a must go to if you're ever driving by. If you're not driving by, it's probably not worth it. But 
it's um it's like they have a lot of underground or they have some underground rivers over there and this one's like a little well for the underground river so it's super deep and they actually do like scuba diving practice but the entrance to it is like three feet by three feet so it's like this cool clean water and uh there's access to it that you just kind of jump in and it's like super clear which is i don't know kind of rare for in the middle of new mexico yeah, that's really cool. That's uh, wild. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, and I we actually found it driving back from the race in Lubbock. Like, oh yeah, just totally, totally hungover and like <laughs> raced the day before, and it was like the best cold plunge to be able to get ourselves through the rest of the drive home. Randomly stopped there, and and now I've stopped there a bunch of times, and like. Anytime I'm driving through, I make it a point to always stop and, and jump in the blue hole. Nice. Got to go to New Mexico. Yeah. If so, oh, I, yeah. If you're ever driving through New Mexico, skip, skip Bigfoot and go to the blue hole. Good. Good advice. Um, all right. So swimming. If you had like uh, one point or one thought you would want to convey to a beginner swimmer. What is that point or thought or, or topic that you'd, you'd want to, uh, to discuss with them? Elliot is like tapping. He's ready. My one point is to remind people that as human beings, we live on land. So when we come to running, it's pretty natural. It's something we're designed to do. We don't grow up in water. So the easiest, the most important thing you can do to get better at swimming is to spend more time in water. And ideally that'd be swimming, but literally any more time in water, the better, even if you're doing somersaults. So, so like fine. trying to in, improve that comfort zone of like having water around you. Yeah. Even if you're just floating, like just being in water, being comfortable in water, um, being in a riptide and not panicking because you're comfortable with the situation as opposed to oblivious. Like, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, more time and more time in water. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, we don't really, can't really add to that. I mean, for beginners, it's, you know, we were even saying before we jumped on Jesse, it's the big difference between if you're a kid and you're a new swimmer or even a teenager or in your early twenties <clears throat> versus, you know, if you're in your thirties or forties and you're just learning how to swim big, big difference. So you know, that comfort level of in water is huge. Just, and, and I would say the number, the best thing you could do for yourself when you first start to get into that comfort zone of swimming and, and water, like you're talking about is learn to float. I mean, I see so many beginners that they start doing workouts and laps and focusing on, you know, getting across the pool as fast as they can before they even know how to float. And I think, like you said, Elliot, if you're comfortable in water and you even pointed out already, just being able to float, that's, you know, that would be like step one, get comfortable, learn to float. And um, that's, that's where I would think that people should start for sure. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's often overlooked. I think a lot of, a lot of triathletes, like you said, they, they work on getting up and down really fast. And then it turns out they can't actually float and like on your stomach or on your back. And, and I think that the, the floating has a really big carryover to, to body position in the water, which is, I think kind of rule rule or step number one for going from being in the water to like learning how to swim is, is having that awareness and knowing what your body position is and being able to have good body position. I think it all stems from being able to float. So that was a, that was a good start. Yeah, I like I it. We're off to a good yeah. start. 
I know. And I, I, just to like, sort of like, I don't know, start the conversation, even if you're a triathlete and you're starting swimming, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that you're already really fit, you know, probably if you're getting into triathlon and you come from a run background or a cycling background, or you're just been training triathlon, <clears throat> your fitness level is really high, but swimming is, is so technical and it's that learning to float. It's not really about just being the, when we transition to like, what does it take to get faster and all these things we can add to the conversation, but initially really has not a lot to do with getting fitter in the water. It really starts with the, you know, the ground up of getting comfortable, learning to flow and, and getting technique correct because you're already a pretty fit person when you start swimming. And um, I think if you're starting from scratch, if you can, can focus on that, then that's going to help you long-term. You might not be super fast to start with and you might, but like the point where you actually want to get faster later is going to be much easier than if you ignore that step. Yeah. You've got two other outlets to gain fitness, right? You can, you can work on all, all that, all, like just basic fitness and the, on the bike and the run. And then if you're focusing on technique, every time you're in the pool, that's going to have much long-term, much more long-term benefits than trying to slog out yards and, and trying to improve fitness before you have the technique to improve your fitness. Yeah. I can tell you from personal experience, you know, when I, when I started triathlon, I didn't have a swim background at all. And I was a lot older in life. I literally couldn't get across a pool when I started. And, um, I learned just enough technique to start to get into the workouts and get fit. And I got better with my technique, but I got fitter and fitter and fitter. And, you know, that then when there was that transition and I was racing professionally, I was just so limited, you know, now the, the bad habits were ingrained. I was very fit. I mean, I, I swam, like I was talking to you guys about before I swam up to 30 K a week, you know, most of the year round video sessions, all kinds of dry land stuff. I mean, all kinds of stuff to improve my swim. And I got pretty capped out at an hour for an Ironman swim. And I think had when I first started swimming in my early twenties and that very, very beginner, someone would have just stopped me in that moment and said, we're not going to just get you up and down the lanes and then throw you into workouts and make you fitter at swimming. And they, and they actually taught me, you know, how to flow proper technique, timing, you know, timing of catch to kick and, and all of these technical things that I think then if I had developed that base of, of, you know, being really efficient and then got fitter and fitter, I might've gotten down to being like a 57, 55 minute swimmer as a professional athlete, but because I didn't do that. And then I put in all of these miles and got extremely fit. I got limited once it was time to be really fast at swimming. So, so really I've lived that I've lived it out. And, um, you know, I think we can have a pretty good conversation about both ends. I mean, Jesse, you grew up as a swimmer. So, and I was going to ask on that front, since you were a, a beginner, like a beginner adult onset swimmer, uh, a little even older than I was when I learned to swim. What's your thoughts on if, if you would have just done more frequency of swimming versus longer swims, like whether it's focusing on that fitness or, or, um, the technique in the longer swim. Yeah. So that's the thing. I actually did swim a lot. I swam seven days a week. Yeah. So you um, had really high frequency. I did. And, and some weeks, to be honest, 10 times a week. Um, and even later in my career, when we tried to correct things, but what about I would, when you just started, when like, I just started for six months, first six yep, months, I was very consistent at four days a week. Yeah. Yeah. And how, so, do you remember how many yards you were doing? 
you know, pretty Ish. quickly once I could get across the pool, like it took me a little while. Like I literally couldn't swim when yeah. I started. I had no idea. Um, pretty quickly I was up to, I went to the, you know, triathlon, local triathlon club swim. So I was pretty quickly up to two, three K swims within the first six months of swimming. And I had no idea, you know, obviously just being green, really. I just, I started in the last lane as the last person trying to get across and I slowly moved my way up the lanes until um, all of a sudden I was in like the third lane of this, of this swim group, but I, and I got plenty fit and strong, but what happened is then that was the, like, that was it. Like I was never going to get better from there um, as the work went on and the years went on. So, well, so yeah, it, it very- seems to me, part of the issue though, is like one, there wasn't a technique focus, right? Well, yeah, and, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two, yeah. So like the, the fitness focus is probably not like you, you do need some fitness, but, um, you're trying to blend the two, but first things first, it's just like, to me, I always feel like the more times you can get in the water, the better until you're just tired from swimming. And then you, if you're showing up and you're already exhausted from your last swim for a swimmer, like who's like Jesse, when he's swimming in college, like that's okay. But when you're learning the technique, sometimes if you're too tired to put your arms above your head, you're almost doing negative works or like working backwards. So it's like this weird thing, I think where you need to find as much frequency as possible without showing up to the pool exhausted for a new, for a new swimmer. That's kind of my thought. And I was, I'm curious what, what your guys' opinion are on like that, whatever this dichotomy, dichotomy, the right word, but like of how all those mix together. I agree with that hundred percent. I also take it one step further to say, I don't think beginner swimmers should ever swim very long continuously. So you know, short reps, like 25s, 50s, 75s, soon as you start, they start to lose and, and on lots of rest, right? Yeah. Because if you're, if you say to a new swimmer, go swim 600s, 800s, 400s, even 200s, or even for some of them repeat 100s, it's too far. Right. And mm-hmm. if and they, they start to lose, they start to lose their technique. So I would agree with you hundred percent on that. Um, yeah, I think one of the one of the things I really like to think about in the pool is that it's it requires a high level of like awareness. So if you're super tired and you don't want to be in the pool because you're you're tired, that you don't have the mental energy to swim and then you're just kind of logging yards and swimming mindlessly and at, for beginner swimmers that is not going to help you get faster. So whether it's physical fatigue or mental fatigue, if you can't be present in the swim session, then you're probably not making forward progress. So I, I think that's uh, and I, I think, I guess the physical and mental fatigue usually go pretty hand in hand. So if you're too tired to be there physically, you're probably too tired to be there mentally. And if you're not thinking about what you're doing, then you're not going to be able to like, think about your stroke, think about your body position and, and, you know, make, yeah, make forward strides with those things. That's where I'll even with, you know, um, older athletes learning to swim, um, in particular, maybe a little bit like, I want to say like more muscle bound, like sort of bigger guys who are like, Hey, I want to do a triathlon. I want to learn to swim a lot of them. And a lot of people, like guys who lack mobility perhaps. Yeah. Or just, you know, they, here's the thing is that like, we've got this, this mentality as triathletes is like, well, if it's not hard, then I'm not doing any work. And so they'll say, oh, I'm cheating if I use fins or I'm cheating if I use a boy and I'm a hundred percent, you know, these, these types of athletes and not just them, you know, I, I use them as example, but all 
I think for beginner athletes, anything, any help that they can get to learn that body position and learn it well from the start. And so if that means like, I really love those Phelps fins because they don't, they don't create a lot of speed. You know, some of those like little zoomers and stuff, they're just rock hard and they actually make people's feet sink more. They're for more advanced type swimmers, but those Phelps fins, they're really, really floaty and they bring your feet up to the surface and you actually, you have to cook, actually kick in good rhythm and good timing and it helps body position. So like, I like things like that or using a buoy that is like, I mean, for me, one of the things that helped me is I always had like one of those little tiny buoys that really didn't help me a lot. And, you know, like I say, I wasn't a great swimmer and struggled with that. And when I went to this one coach, he took two big buoys and glued them together. And I still have it to this day. That thing is ginormous. It's like a life, like saver. And I put it between my legs and it like brought me up to the surface. And the more I just learned what that felt like, because often if you're not a great swimmer, you don't grow up swimming, you lack that awareness that you were talking about, Jesse. It's like the more reps you get in good body position when you're not tired, you start to learn it. You're like, oh, that's where I'm supposed to be. So I think that mentality of like, oh, I'm cheating if I use toys as a beginner, especially as an adult beginner, it's like, we need to remove that. You're not cheating. You're using tools to help you like memorize what it's supposed to feel like to swim well so that when we take those away, you actually can do a good job. I agree with that point. And personally, I know one thing I like to do is, okay, somebody's using the buoy or the fins or whatever device they're using to, to change their body position. And you say, this is what it feels like. But then you also need to give them a chance to swim without that stuff somewhat regularly. So like a swim where like, it might be kind of silly for a very advanced swimmer to constantly be changing toys. But if you're a new swimmer, and you're essentially just playing in the water and trying to get different feelings, I feel like it's, it's very helpful to swim with fins and then swim with a buoy and then swim and like, you know, and not saying you have to do that, but go back and forth. Um, and, and, and also keeping the swims relatively short. So as like, as Jesse said, you have enough energy and focus to do each rep well. And the, the most important thing, um, I guess for me, this kind of stands out, whether you're a beginner swimmer or advanced swimmer, it's not how hard you're swimming. It's how much time you spend swimming well. And like, yeah. did you swim with good form? Check yes or no, you know? And it's like, did you swim fast? I don't really care if it was with bad form, even if you're really advanced. Yeah, I, when I, because I had the flexibility and all the time in the world to just train back when, when I was racing, one thing that I did that was exactly in line with what you're talking about, and it did help improve my swim quite a lot. And, and I did have my best swims in races after that actually like finally stayed in the front group, those kinds of things is I swam 2k in the morning to then did whatever session afterwards, 2k at lunch, then did whatever session afterwards and 2k at night right after dinner. Um, so I swam 6k a day, you know, six days a week, but it was never for more than 2k at a time. And oftentimes it was like 25s and fifties. And so it was always very high quality swimming. It was a lot cumulatively, you know, if you add that up over a week, and, but most people, obviously I'm only saying that because most people aren't going to have that kind of flexibility and time to be able to do that. But if it, if you are in a position where you can do that, then that's certainly, you know, I've, that, that approach really does work well for, for newer swimmers or people struggling to swim well. Um, just taking a step back to the toys thing. It's uh, it was really hard for me growing up with like seventies and eighties style coaches in the pool. Where like we did not 
we did not use equipment unless eventually we put on giant paddles at some point in the work workout. But like we, we did not use pull buoys and we never touched anything else. Like occasionally a kickboard for like some hard kicking, but we spent 80% of our practice swimming freestyle or butterfly or whatever your stroke was, but we spent a lot of time swimming freestyle and it was like a very much no toys thing from almost all my swim coaches throughout my entire swim career. So when I got to triathloning, I was like, well, yeah, I'm just going to get in the water and like swim a lot and, you know, jump in some of the master's programs and group swims. And it was somewhat similar. And it took, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around that working with beginner swimmers or adult onset swimmers, that some of these toys can actually be super useful. And it, you know, I learned slowly, so it took me a while, but I, I definitely have come around to the use of toys in order to help people feel that body position and, and yeah, work on like that comfort in the water and work on speed in the water. And so now I'm definitely a proponent of at least a few toys in the swim bag, which, which is kind of a new thing. So I yeah. now agree with you. Yeah. We're, still, we're still talking more or less specifically about beginner beginners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, the other thing to remember for, for beginner swimmers, and we're talking specifically about triathlete beginner swimmers is that, you know, if you come from a run background, you're going to have really stiff ankles. Right. And so how's that for a swimmer? I mean, most of them, right. And it's like an <laughs> anchor through the water. If you, you know, if you're running and biking, you're probably got, you know, pretty heavy, thick, thicker, lower body than maybe a swimmer might, um, you know, so maybe you sink a little bit more cause you've got, you know, bigger quads, all of these kinds of things, your mobility. We talked about this in other podcasts. So, you know, you watch real swimmers, they've got like really, really almost like some of them look double jointed. They're so flexible. Right. And you look at a triathlete and they can barely reach their hands over their head. So like these kinds of things, when you're a beginner, the stuff you can do, when you're not swimming, they'll help you like sitting on your ankles every single night for a little bit and, and making sure that those are, are flexible. Um, you know, making sure that, you know, you're really working on your upper back mobility, those kinds of things hanging from a bar every day. Um, I think that can make a pretty big difference for newer swimmers as well. All right. So let's, um, let's highlight a few technical aspects of swimming that we would say, if you're a beginner swimmer, here's a few things that would be a good thing to focus on during your, your actual swim sets. Um, my number one that I've already talked about a couple of times, I think is body position and, and we can, you can, you guys can add to body position or if you have some different things you want to say. I, I mean, to me, the, the first thing you need to realize is a lot of people are concerned about producing force and the best way to become a fast swimmer is to reduce drag. And that's why body position is like number one, right? The fastest boats are fast. Like you can put a big motor on any boat, but the boat shape itself has to be fast for the boat to be fast. So you can have a terrible motor on a fast boat. It still moves pretty well so that you are in fact a boat when you're swimming. So body position is always going to be number one. Um, and then for me, number two is just like, uh, the high elbow catch, you know, a vertical forearm, uh, wh whatever you want to call it. However, you turn your fingertips to your elbow into a paddle as soon as possible in front of you and hold it for as long as possible. That is number two, in my opinion. Yeah. The only sorry. Thing oh. sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. I was just going to say, I, I really, 
I love the idea of the early vertical forearm or whatever EVF or whatever they're calling it now. But I, I, I don't like the way that people Envision interpret it. that. Cause I, when I say that to people, That's I picture, hard. well, and I think people go like, Oh, so I'm just going to like put my arm straight in the water underneath my shoulder and pull down. Cause I'm going to get my forearm vertical. And I think it should be something like, like early rear facing forearm. Cause it doesn't matter if your forearm is vertical, it matters that your forearm is facing the back of the pool and you're pushing against or towards away from that. And I think that's like the important thing, right? It doesn't matter if you have a bend in your elbow or not. In fact, I would argue you should have some bend in your elbow. And I understand that the, the early part of the vertical form is before you get there. But I just, I think that when people think vertical, it just too much of the focus is on that instead of like, get your arm pushing the way you want it to push as soon as possible and don't waste any energy doing anything else. Um, yeah. So to me, I, I think if we're going to, so when you talk to an individual swimmer and, and you see them in person, you can break it down a million different ways on how their, their body shape, their body morphology is and their mobility. But if we're just going to go broad strokes, my, the idea is your fingertips to your elbow are your paddle and you need to be aware that that's your paddle. And so I would, say, I would just say that's the statement, right? And then like, you can, you can say that a bunch of different ways for the individual athlete, but I would say that's my major takeaway. Like you need to know it's not your palm. It's not your hand. It's from your elbow pit to your fingertips is what can help propel you. So I, I does that help or. Yeah. I'm just trying to get the early rear facing forearm going <laughs> instead of early. Okay. So we've got just to bring, bring us back home, body position. And then we've got early pole. rear facing forearm. <laughs> early rear facing forearm. Now, the one thing I feel like for beginner swimmers, just like how we might have lost sort of the conversation here, is like that gets very confusing and very hard for newer swimmers to actually feel that because new swimmers who have no swim background are like, I have no idea what that feels like or um, can even envision that. So the net, the num the, the big things I notice for beginners are body position and spending time with them on breathing, timing of breathing and knowing breathe all your air out in the water so that when you turn your head, you breathe in. And I think that is the biggest thing that new swimmers struggle with. So first thing is they got to learn to float. Then the next thing they got to learn, even if it's just like hands hanging on the edge of the pool and they're just kicking on the spot. And it's just like, put your face in the water, turn, blow all your air out and turn it to the side, breathe in and get that timing. Right. Because the, the, the big thing is, is people start swimming and they get gassed and they just panic and lift their head and turn it to the side. And what's the first thing to go body position now, like all this, like hand position stuff. They're like, I'm just trying to breathe, you know, I'm dying for breath and then they're sinking. So I think if you can focus very, very first for a beginner swimming, learning to flow and then learning how to breathe properly and the timing of breathing, then once they get those two things, then we're going to start to be able to dive into, you know, the technical aspects of, of hand position and catch and pull and um, timing of, you know, pull and kick and all of those kinds of things. So those would be my top two body position, breathing. I, I concede. Marilyn's answer was better. It should be body position and breathing. I like, yeah, you're right. I, I do think pull is number three, but um, that's the right answer. Cause you have to be comfortable in the water 
and you have to be breathing. And well, and like going back to your original statement is we're, we're used to being on land, right? So if mm -hmm. we start to go harder running or we start to go harder biking, we can always like, even if we're gassed, we can always breathe. But what, what swimming does is all of a sudden you're, you're, you know, you're in water, you start to learn this and go harder. And like most beginners are like, holy crap. Now I like, I, that's the first thing I'll hear from beginners is like, how do I breathe? <laughs> when do I breathe? <laughs> you know, yeah, I and the, <laughs> the anxiety of it all, right? Yes. Just exactly how you said it is how people say it. So. Yeah. So those are my top two for beginners is establishing those two first. I, and so like kind of on the, the fourth thing, like the J Jesse and I were, you obviously couldn't see what we were talking about. I think the important part of this is when you're talking about technical swim things, if you can't see things, it's a very long conversation to suss out the, the technical aspects and, and everyone be talking about like using the same jargon, especially because everyone's body is different. Um, so I think it's always really valuable to watch yourself swim, even if you're a super beginner. And also even more important than that, watch good swimmers swim and, and just spend some time looking at good swimmers swim and, and see what's different and then know what you're doing. Um, and that's not, I mean, you don't have to do that, but it, it definitely help, helps your awareness of the water. Yeah. I think just to bring some of those ideas together here, it, I think that one of the most important things on body position is your head position. It's kind of like your rudder in the water. And so when you throw that around to breathe, it has a massive effect on your body position. So body position and breathing, like Marilyn said, they go really hand in hand and being able to, to breathe while keeping your body position is like kind of the cornerstone of swimming, right? Cause unfortunately you can't swim without breathing yet. So you've got to figure out a way to, uh, to make that happen. Um, there's obviously a ton of other technical aspects for swimming, but I think, I think that's, that sums up like the, the really essence of learning to swim. That beginning part is having that body position, learning how to breathe while maintaining that body position, and then gaining at least some sort of forward propulsion with your pull. Um, so let's move on to, let's say you're somewhat proficient in the water. You can get down the pool. And I would say in order to like move to this next step, you have the ability to swim easy. You can get down the pool and treat it as recovery. You don't feel gassed. You could swim for a while straight and, and feel pretty good about it. You have the ability to swim easy. Now you want to learn how to go from swimming easy to swimming fast. Australian accent. Number one. Uh, all right. I'll work on that. I'll work on that. Um, <laughs> So I'm just going to go since I still have the mic and you guys are both looking at me. Um, <laughs> I thought you had notes for this. Anyways, I do have notes. I've got too many, like I said. So one of the things that I focus on in, in beginner swimmers is developing distance per stroke. Again, that idea of being able to swim easy mm -hmm. and that might actually slow them down a little bit, but say they're taking half the strokes they were before. I'm okay with that. Cause once you learn how to have that distance per stroke, then you can learn how to take it away and increase that turnover. And maybe you're getting a little less out of each pull. Maybe you're pulling that hand out a smidge earlier than you were before, but you're actually going infinitely faster. So that's, that's kind of the dynamic I play with is I say, okay, let's get that distance per stroke down or let's get that long stroke. And then let's say what happens when we play with increasing that turnover, can you swim faster? So that's the first place I look to kind of, change that from 
to gain speed. And I think one of the most important things when you talk about increased stroke rate, we're talking about a triathlon and triathlons take place in open water and open water is not calm water. It can be very choppy. If you're in a lake and it's windy, it's super choppy. You can have rolling waves. And at the very least, even if it's calm, you have people swimming right next to you creating wake. Um, and all of that creates turbulence in the water. And when you have a really long, beautiful stroke, like, uh, is it Sun Yu, the Chinese guy who has like the most textbook swim stroke ever, the 1500 meter swimmer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what his name is, but I apologize if I got that wrong. The point is, um, those kind of like perfect long, when you see a guy who's six, eight with this perfect swim stroke, it doesn't work as well in really choppy water and high turnover rate works better. Uh, in varying chopping water. And so like, that's pretty important in a triathlon. Yeah, I think so not on a technical standpoint, one of the things that I'll have a conversation with for athletes that are, like you say, right at that point, we're like, okay, I can swim easy. I can do continuous swimming. I've had plenty of athletes that come to me into a triathlon. They're like, you know, I swim 30 minutes continuous. I look at them and they've got pretty good technique already. Um, so aside from a technical standpoint, and, and starting to dive into that. The, the other thing that I look at is starting to get them familiar with a pace clock. And that doesn't mean a Garmin or your watch, or you just do a workout continuously and download it afterwards. It means, okay, we're going to start to break up different types of workouts, focusing on different ranges of speed and effort. And we are going to use a pace clock and that could be a digital pace clock. It could be the old school hand pace clock, but that is the one thing that I really will, will bring to that transition point in a person's development and say, all right, we know you can swim continuously. We know you look, there's a lot, a million technical things that we can work on over time and over the years but let's start here. Let's start breaking down this type of swim. What is it working on? What does it address? And what does a pace clock look like? And, and so on throughout the week. And I think when we start becoming aware of that and those different workouts, that's like a major turning point for people in their swim development. Another one of my notes that I have is, is gearbox. And I think that plays right into that is, is using the clock, knowing how hard you're swimming and kind of helping develop that, that feel for how hard you're swimming. I think using the, the clock is a great tool for that. And then, and then learning how to swim different speeds, um, or having a gearbox in the pool, like you might in running or riding is again, something that maybe adult onset swimmers don't automatically have. So that's kind of a, one of those skills you can learn and using a clock is, I'd say maybe the, one of the easier ways to learn it. Jesse, I've, coming from like a swim background, you know, you grew up as a swimmer and, and then came into triathlon and now you're a coach in triathlon and you've obviously seen it develop through your entire life. Um, you know, as a swimmer kid, you, you're taught from scratch to, to use the pace clock. And then now, you know, as triathletes and stuff like that, the, I guess that crossover of like, I get the question all the time, isn't just using my Garmin and just downloading it afterwards. Cause they get used to that on the run on the bike. And like, isn't that file good enough? What's your sort of like, what's your opinion and experience and evolution with that been, especially as a lifetime swimmer? So I think it's, it's harder to notice the nuance when you're swimming with, with a Garmin and it, I'm definitely biased. Cause I grew up swimming with a pace clock and that's what I'm used to. But 
but I think that you could, when you're looking at the clock at the end of your set, you can kind of see what time you came in and you know how it felt. And you have like kind of that instant to, to internalize that. And I, I think people, it's harder to like look at your Garmin and, and see what pace you exactly went Cause you're like pushing off and looking at it and stopping. And, and so there's just kind of these seconds that are missing there. And like, you know, when you finish say a hundred, you look at the clock and you see your time and you know, like in the middle of that second, when you, when you saw the clock, cause you know, when it gets to the next second. And so I think it's, it's just a much better gauge for kind of where you're at. And I, I think it really, I don't know. I, uh, I think it really help you as you're moving forward. And I think that the Garmin data can be really useful for after the fact, like when I'm looking at an athlete's Garmin data and I'm talking to them about it, like it's much easier for them to just upload it than to type in. Like I came in on the 117, then the 116 and a half, then the 115. So I think it has a really good place and can be really good after the fact. Uh, but I think that using the actual pace clock is much better for kind of in the middle of the workout. Do you feel like a lot of that is just like being in the moment? Like it's one, one less distraction. Totally. I mean, you know, I, I feel like it's the classic thing when you see a triathlete push off the wall and they're pushing off the wall with like their head down, arms crossed underneath them. And they're trying to get a push off in as they're pressing start on their watch. And it's just like, that's, you're, you're not really thinking about the push off. Right. And, and I know like, half my athletes are probably like, Oh, I do that. And I'm sorry that like, that's fine that we get great data, but like your push off is two seconds slower that way. And you're not focused on being streamlined hydrodynamic. You're, you're worried about the data and, and you know, that's, that's good for me for after the fact, but you know, you are not thinking about what you're doing in the moment and maybe you get halfway down the pool and then you start thinking about it. But if you, the more, like you're saying, the more high quality swimming you get, the more time you're present in the water, then the better that swim set is. So if you're missing this, the ending and the beginning of, of every swim in order to start and stop your watch, that's a key moment. And like, as a swimmer, those are the two most important moments in the entire swim, right? The push off and the, and the finish. That's like how you win the race right there. And like maybe the flip turn as well, but, but yeah, so you're kind of missing the, uh, I also think there's one benefit to the pace clock, which is a lot of times you didn't see it or it was in the way and you don't really know how fast you went, which brings you back to the main point, which is how did you feel and how comfortable were you with your stroke (laughs) and how, you know, how comfortable are you in the water in general? And that comfort and that feeling is often a heck of a lot more important than what the time was, right? A bunch of fast hundreds or whatever distance um, with bad form is not that worthwhile, no matter what level you're at. Um, if you're, you know, if it's not repeatable long-term. So it's just kind of like, where's your focus? Well, what I was about to say is what, what the arguments I'll get is, well, you know, in open water, I don't have to do flip turns or I don't have to come push off a wall in perfect streamline or finish, finish in perfect, you know, form. However, as new begins beginner swimmers, or maybe if you're not from a swim background, the from the moment you push off the wall, you're establishing your feel for the water and that body position we originally talked about. And so if the first thing you do when you push off is have your head in the wrong position because you're looking at your watch and your hands are all in the wrong position and you're not pushing off the wall right into that good body position that we're talking about and that feel and that rhythm, you're already starting behind the eight ball. So yes, 
does it really matter when we get open water that we can do great flip turns and push off the wall in a perfect streamlined dolphin kick and all of that? People say, oh, why do I, why would I even bother as a triathlete when you get out in the rough water? It's like, well, when you're a beginner, it matters even more because from the second you push off, you're establishing that good streamlined position and that good body position and that feel for the water. So every time you push off, you're repeating those habits and, and getting better at it or you're not. And kind of like the, the first point Elliot made about being comfortable in the water, it's like just learning another skill in the water. And even if it's not directly applicable, you're still learning how to be comfortable and do things that, that help you feel better in the water. Like if you could do a great flip turn, that means you can do a somersault in the water. So if you need to do like a crazy turn around a buoy, you're comfortable turning in the water. It's like the same reason why like learning other strokes and swimming other strokes is, is good for swimmers that only race freestyle because it helps your feel for the water, helps your body awareness in the water, helps you be comfortable in, in weird positions in the water. Cause I guarantee you, you're going to end up in a weird position in a triathlon. Like it's not just going to be straightforward swimming. So I think all those things really help. It's the trail running and mountain biking of, uh, swimming. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay to get dirty sometimes. So would we say if we're transitioning from like, okay, we're pretty, we're pretty good. We're pretty good at the swim or like getting, you know, more comfortable. We're looking for that next step in like, how do I get faster? It would be, you know, Jesse, you're talking about the gear boxes. We're talking about becoming familiar and more aware of the, the workouts and the pace clock, those kinds of things. Um, you guys started to touch on the technical side of things. You know, what would be like your top two like focus points in terms of technique, we, we can breathe well, we've got good body position, we're aware of the basics, we've got a pretty good foundation, we're starting to break down some workouts, develop some gears, we use the pace clock, like what are the top two technical things that you would say, let's work on these that you say the most often, often to athletes? Me and Jess what? are debating who's gonna go, am I going? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if this is the right answer, but my gut instinct is to say, um, somebody's like hip and shoulder coordination in that to me, that ties into like rhythm. And, and when we were talking about the catch, I, I was saying, oh, well, your rotation depends on how your catch ends up. And, and to me, the way your body rotates in the water plays into how you breathe in the water and it plays into how you catch in the water and it plays into how you, you float in the water and your body position. And it all comes down to rhythm, which is what Jesse was talking about, increased stroke rate. So just like having a strong core and having your ship be like strong together. So, so making sure that when you're rotating, everything's like rotating together in, in one piece and that you can do that for a long period of time. Um, so I guess that's, that's my number one that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. I guess the things I look for in rotation are people really leading from the hips and not the shoulders, right? I think that the shoulders, if you lead from the shoulders, that can lead to that waggle in the water that you're talking about, the kind of loosey goosiness. Yeah. So really dry driving from the hips. And, and the other thing I really like to talk about with, with rotation is like, I think sometimes people can think about rotating all the way up to say like 90 degrees where their shoulders are completely vertical or stacked on each other. That's crazy talk. And I think, yeah, like I like to talk about more of like 45 degrees, right? I think 45 degrees either side is, is kind of that, that sweet spot. And everyone's probably gonna have one side they breathe on. So they might rotate a little more to that side, a little less to the other side. And I think that's fine. 
but I think aiming for that sweet spot and not getting that over rotation in, cause then it's going to slow your stroke rate and be harder to swim faster. So making sure people are kind of finding that, that sweet spot for rotation. Yeah, that's, it's, that's really good advice because you know, if you like, you know, we love the internet and we love to Google and stuff and people will go, I'll get questions like what's better, a shoulder driven stroke or a hip driven stroke, you know? And, and so like, if we're talking specifically about, you know, open water swimming and triathlon, I think you both agreed on it. And I definitely agree as well as a hip driven stroke for open water is, is the way to focus on things to, for, you know, triathlon and, and open water swimming and not to get too carried away in the, you know, the shoulder driven stroke. Am I hearing that right from you guys? Yeah. And I, I really do think a lot of that plays in the fact that it's open water, right? If, if we were only dealing with people who look like Michael Phelps, we'd probably have different answers, but like, let's be honest, the best triathletes don't look like Michael Phelps. So. Well, and they're not, most of them aren't six foot seven and yeah. you know, 200 plus pounds either with a wingspan on them. That is like ginormous. We're talking about a completely yeah. different shaped athlete. I mean, if you're going to run well, you're also probably going to be a little bit smaller and leaner and all of these things. So we have to think in terms of not swimmers, but triathletes, you know, mm -hmm. and, and work with the body shapes and, and specifically for our sport, uh, even the, you know, if you look at the Olympic open water swim racers, they're built different than triathletes, because yes. if you're going to be a good, well-rounded triathlete means you're at some point going to be a good cyclist and a good runner. And, and yeah, those aren't, those aren't really big people. And generally really tall, big people swim well. So it's like finding that happy medium as well of what works for the stuff that you might look for, for classic swimmers versus, Hey, we're not classic swimmers. We're specifically triathletes. So I think it's good advice because there's so much information out there to say, like, if you're going to look up stuff and watch videos, direct your attention towards hip driven swimming and high turnover as an open water swimmer triathlete. And I think it helps also to like watch triathlon races, like watch the ITU races, watch the super league races. They have good video of people swimming like really, really, really fast. And plenty of those swimmers were making their Olympic trials or even higher in their national meets. So they're very high quality swimmers, but they're in open water with a bunch of people around them. And that's, what's applicable to anybody who's listening to this, trying to apply to themselves. Like, sure. You're going to swim slower than them, but it's the same scenario. Right. So. I think the very, the very last thing I get to with swimmers or with triathlete swimmers, sorry, is the kick. And I think that that can be focused on a lot early on for, and not like you get what 10% of your forward momentum from your kick. So having a super strong kick, although maybe beneficial, isn't something you want to focus on early. That's something that kind of comes in later on. So that'd be another thing I would say, like, if you're already good and you're looking to jump up that next level like how strong is your kick how fast is your kick how deep is your kick and and then that's kind of like you know again we're talking about going fast so it's like a little bit more of the icing on the cake um, i think yeah that like the old school triathlon was why would you kick you have to save your legs for the bike and the run and uh, you know you'd hear it all the time in iron man oh i would never kick oh you don't need to kick and more and more, it's like, Hey, guess what? We figured out how to do this really well. And you have to just be truly fast at everything and the best swimmers kick. You know, if you go to swim, like one of the best, you know, high school or college swim programs, they're kicking all the time and they're kicking faster than most people listen to this can swim. Um, you know, and I think we need to be aware of that as you're trying to take that stuff up. Like kick sets are a part of going really, really fast. Yeah. One to, I'll just share this. Uh, this. I don't know if this is like in line with, 
what we're talking about or, or not, but I, I feel like it is, is, you know, timing of kick to your pull might not be something that triathletes think about that much. But I will tell you that I had um, someone point out to me, and I wish this was pointed out to me when I was still racing professionally. Um, it's just in recent years, I had had all kinds of videoing and technical correction and, and you name it when I was racing professionally to try and help me swim better. And it took until like, literally, I was like, okay, I'm just going to play around as an amateur now. And I had one person notice they're like, hey, your timing of your catch and your kick is completely off. And we fixed it. And I mean, I was all of a sudden swimming the same pace as I had always swam when I was swimming 30K a week. And I was like, holy crap. And with way less effort. And it was that one little thing that maybe triathlon coaches might not notice, but it was literally knowing like opposite hand to opposite foot with the catch and the kick. And I mean, my legs, I guess, were just like completely, completely off the timing. So my balance was off and I didn't even know it. Like the, the domino effect and just the energy expenditure because I was kicking to, you know, everyone would say, oh, try like to slow your kick down, those kinds of things. And I, I couldn't do it because I didn't realize how off that timing was. And once it was pointed out and I learned it and I actually learned it really fast between like one hand, um, one paddle on one hand and a fin on the opposite hand. And I, I could feel it really quickly might take other people a little longer to feel it or learn it. But I can't even tell you how much I'm like, why didn't someone tell me this 15 years ago? (laughs) Um, (laughs) it would have made a huge difference. So I think, yeah, having a developed kick, but a kick awareness on what that what the back end is in relationship to the front end, and that's going to help everything, body position, timing, being able to increase the kick, stroke rate, all of those things. It's just a big relationship. So to be a triathlete that says, I don't even bother kicking, it's like you're missing out on that whole piece maybe. Have you guys had any experience with that at all? I mean, that was like a light bulb went off for me, and I was like, damn, too late. (laughs) My kick is beautiful. (laughs) Dude, no, no, yeah, 100%. I think there are, you know, I think there are two ways to kick. There are like the, the sprinter kick, which is absolute mayhem, frantic. <laughs> the, yeah. Or, or there's like, if you watch Katie Ledecky, like not so much on the walls, but in the middle of her longer events and she gets it. Yeah. just Well, she has a gallop and then like that, that amazing, like two beat kick. It's almost a one beat kick that drives, that helps drive her hips. And I think that's what it, that's where it plays in such a critical role is, is you can, you lead with the hips, but the, that kick really helps finish that rotation and if you i mean like i said like i've never seen a one beat kick that looks as good as that but even a two beat kick where you're kind of kicking each rotation and it it kind of just throws your shoulder forward helps your timing and like just helps that hip drive and i think that's um that's how you swim fast with like low effort right it's because you're you're it's, it's helping. I mean, I, I literally didn't even know that it was like opposite, like where's my right hand entered, my left foot should be kicking down. Apparently I was like, right hand was entering, right foot was kicking down, completely losing my balance. And then, you know, you get the scissor leg, but in the meantime, I was fit enough to kick like a maniac to hold my balance well enough, but I was killing myself, you know? And it's like, soon as I was like, oh, if I just opposite hand, opposite foot kicks down, I found that like rhythm and balance. And I was like, oh, this is way better. And once I got and it's so like, you know, might be something really simple like that. If we, if we don't even ever think about the kick, we don't ever get that opportunity to, you know, even understand what you're talking about, Jesse, that, you know, 
changing the rhythm of it. Where does the kick apply to the hip drive and then and into the tempo of the stroke rate, that kind of thing. So that's, you know, a whole, a whole window of opportunity for triathletes to even start to think about. I will say you should be like pretty proficient before you like, at least be able to get up and down the pool before you, that's something you think about. Eh? Well, I would say way past that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able, you have to be like trying to drop some serious time. Right. And I also think I, I, it's fun to talk about this stuff on a podcast and I get to see you guys and you guys get to watch my hands fly all over the place. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think all this stuff is, is really done well, much more easily in person. I think Elliot actually mentioned this earlier. So yeah. I think one of my biggest advice to be, if you're trying to make any of these steps forward is working with an on-deck coach or sending some video in, I think video or on-deck or like just a combination of the two. seeing yourself it just opens so many more doorways, right? You yeah. like, once you've seen yourself swim, you know, right. And, and, and then you can just go back to that. Um, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I, I do have one point that's not like technical. Um, and I think, uh, I, I guess it's probably the cornerstone of how I think about swimming, but I really think that in general triathlon, everyone thinks about like how strong you are aerobically and getting in the miles and or yards, whatever meters. Um, and people are just, you know, even if you have a gearbox in triathlon, I've noticed even at the really high levels, it seems like a lot of people are adverse to doing sets where they give themselves adequate rest and just spend a long period of time swimming at a high intensity. Um, that's not necessarily a sprint. So like swimming at something between a 200 pace and a thousand pace, but like whether it's a 50 at a time, a 25 at a time, or a 200 at a time, and then taking enough rest. And I, I don't see a lot of that. And personally, I don't understand why we don't see more of it because it, the swim itself takes a longer period of time, but the amount of time you spend swimming with good form, um, with good effort, which I feel like we've clearly established is very important. Like that's how you organize a lot of sets, not every set, but at least once a week in, in my opinion. Totally. Totally, dude. <laughs> totally, dude. <laughs> that was my, that's my closing point. That's my send off. All right. Well, I, I think that was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too over the top. I, I know I really get into talking about swimming, so ho hopefully I didn't uh, use my hands too much, but I appreciate the conversation. Yeah. We should, yeah. if we need to put out the video, I should have combed my hair. Yeah, no, it's super fun. I mean, I think everybody could take at least one thing away from this and apply it to their next swim practice. And, and hopefully they'll see some, some results or just give them some food for thought on, on how to go about their, their swim progression, whether they're just starting out or they're really advanced. So cool conversation. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. See do you guys do you have, have any, any questions or anything else you want to hear us talk about? Please feel free to reach out to any of us and yeah, we'd love to talk to you about swimming or any other bits on triathlon. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.